Hi, I'm Rama Mayo, and this is the first episode of Cannabis State of the Union, a deep dive into the past, present, and future of the cannabis industry. In this episode, I sit down with Gary Vaynerchuk and The Game and dive into how the industry got to where it is today, learning about Gary and Game's introductions to experiences and thoughts around one of the fastest growing industries in the country. So this is 137 p.m. Cannabis State of the Union. So this is episode one, okay? And it's a transition from marijuana to weed, featuring two of my business partners, Gary V in the game. Gary's our partner in Green Street. Game I originally met um, when we were consulting for Interscope on the Jesus Peace record, and now we do the Trees by Game brand together. And today we're going to be discussing like the past, present, and future of cannabis, but really focused mostly on the last 30 years. So a lot of this like evolution of it. And I'm just going to jump right into it. So, so first question, okay, it's 1987. It's the infamous, this is your brain on drugs. And I learned mm-hmm. it by watching you commercials. You know, Chuck, mm-hmm. you're eight. Gary, you're 12. Do you remember those? Not only do I remember them, Nancy Reagan did a fucking number on my mom. Mm. Like a number. You know, Len Bias died, so I got scared, you know, because I was all about sports, and I thought Len Bias was going to be the next Jordan. I was all about Len Bias, so he dies. I learned it by watching you. And, and, like, and then I also was born in Russia and grew up immigrant life and just watched all my uncles drink vodka and be fucking unconscious all the time. So like, you know, I was really affected by that. And so I was scared shitless of drugs. I thought if I, I literally believed for the majority of my life, and I'm talking like until I was like 30, I'm not talking even like 15, that if you did a drug, you die. So yes, I remember it vividly. That was huge shit in my household and in my school. Game? Um, Me? Hey, it's kind of, same thing, but a little, but you know what? I'm not as cool as uh, Gary. I didn't grow up in Russia, you know. But the, I, grew yeah, up in New, I grew up, by the way, real quick. I grew up in New York and New Jersey. I was a Russian immigrant. Oh, so we okay, just, okay. I came when I was three. So we just got here and all my uncles and all these dudes, they still thought it was Russia. They drank fucking liters of vodka to the face like it was wow. their job. And I was like, oh man, this is some fucked up shit. So drugs and alcohol, I was scared yeah. of that shit. Yeah, what's a what's a three-year-old Gary V look like? <laughs> hey, trying, to make, trying to make trying to make money. Trying to make hey, money. Yeah, so look, <laughs> for me, for me, right? Like I, I'm born and raised in Compton, California. Uh both of my parents, you know, dealt drugs. Both of my parents were gang members. So, but you know what's crazy about my parents is that um my mom never, my mom never drinks alcohol, never done any drug. And then my dad was like the opposite. He did almost every drug and sold almost every drug, but he also didn't drink at all, like ever, didn't drink alcohol. So for me, I seen weed and cocaine on the kitchen table. You know what I'm saying? It was there. It's been a part of my life for a very long time. I smoked my first joint with my dad. I might've been maybe six years old. Um, and, and, and it's great. It's crazy that because I wouldn't smoke a joint with my 17 year old. Right. But my dad, you know, back in those days, like I tried beer the first time my dad was like, sip this little nigga. You know what I'm saying? And I was just like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but, and then I can remember telling my dad sitting on his lap. Right. And telling him it tastes like piss. And I was that vulgar because my parents were thugs. Right. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, that time, the 80s, man, um, I don't even know. 
yeah, of course, now, you know, we've done the research, we've seen documentaries, we understand, we have a full understanding of drugs as a whole, right? And even if you didn't know shit, you've seen narcos, so you kind of get it. Um, being, growing up in Los Angeles and being smack dead in the middle of that shit was heavy. And so every place that I looked from the time that I was maybe in preschool all the way till current day, there's been drugs around, you know what I'm saying? So that's my background. Yeah, yeah. And then Gary, did, did it change growing up? I know you said from thir- till 30, you were kind of not not uh, even, you know, aware of really how it was working. No, I mean, did- I, was, I was joking a little bit. I mean, for me, yeah. where, you know, obviously you get to high school and people start, you know, doing different yeah. shit, but I was so focused on my business that I didn't really, you know, I, I didn't really, fo- where, it re- where drug culture really hit me was college because I went to Mount Ida College, which was like, <laughs> degenerates yeah. and like it was no it was it it was you know 80 percent black student black and latino students so it was super hardcore like blunts you know and like and but it was poor so it wasn't coke it was weed it was just always weed yeah. weed 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 yeah. I grew up. and so but like you know i mean I, moose my man rob moose in la my two two of my core friends that you know they smoked eight blunts to the head a day they stayed high like like you know so that that's where that's where it got normalized a lot more for me because i'm yeah. like well these guys are they're not dying <laughs> you know they're fine yeah. they're like they're yeah. they're high as shit all the time but they're fine and so yeah. that 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 that's when it got normalized for me so i i love that and i want to talk about that but i want to bring it back right before that so right before you go to college right um and, and game you were setting it up perfectly you know talking about where you grew up so NWA, like 1989 to 1991, like NWA explodes, right? Dre is a superstar. That's how I really discovered rap. You know, then Boys in the Hood comes out. You know, Chuck, you're becoming a teenager in the same city that that's happening in. What was that like? You know, I know you talked about it a little bit, but. You know what's crazy is that um, uh, Dr. Dre, Ice Cube, uh, MC Ren, MC Yella, and Easy e for Compton kids, right? Because the rest of the world, you know, these were like, and no, don't get me wrong. They like, we were super proud of them and they were still celebrities. I didn't know them um, per se, but of course somebody knows somebody knows somebody in Compton. That's just how it goes. So, you know, my father uh, and, and DJ Yella, they were like, uh, like early, like porn industry entrepreneurs, you know, they were trying to work it out back in the day, figure out how they can get into porn. Of course, you know, DJ Yella does a lot with that these days, but back then you would actually See NWA, you would see, you would see them on uh, like Christmas, uh, on Thanksgiving, like Dr. Dre and Easy E would give out turkeys on Christmas. There would be tons of fucking like toys for kids and like get out at this uh, church, uh, Mount Pilgrim, um, in Compton, uh, on um, uh, Alab- no, is it Santa Santa Fe on Santa Fe and like Compton Boulevard. So it's like we they were around for us. So being from Compton, that was motivation. We got to see them, the brand new Impalas. We got to see the Mercedes Benzes. We got to like roll up to, uh, my dad took me to a video, a easy video shoot. And we got to see these guys live and, and you know, in real life. So that that was just uh, like, like, like crazy. And think, you know, you guys saw them on TV, whether it was MTV or Jukebox. And if you didn't see them anywhere, you heard the music, right? But we were, I was in it. With everything they were talking about, I was there. I seen it. My parents played, uh, you know, they were in the streets heavily, heavily. So all of that was at my front door. That's wild. Gary, do you remember when you first, like, earliest moments of Boys in the Hood or NWA? Do you remember that at all? Of course. The beauty of growing up in Jersey is that you had 
you know, so like for me, it like hip hop was so instrumental between like the the fat boys. I don't think I've ever loved anything more than I love the fat boys when they like. That was my first record. That was my first hey, record this, was fat hey, boys crush. Hey, look, disorderlies. The movie oh, yeah. Yeah. It was huge for me. Yeah, it yeah, was for huge sure. for me. And then, and then being a white kid around all that diversity in Jersey growing up, you know, the Beastie Boys meant a lot, right? Because they were like, okay, that's us in this game that is so cool yeah. to us. Yeah. And so for me, it was all sports and hip hop. So there was always so much black culture penetrating my dome. You know, to me, I mean, it, for my my hip hop life got completely twisted with with Biggie because the way he store, I'm a storyteller by nature. And for me, and it's kind of why I loved KRS-One. Like to me, if you give me somebody who like paints a picture, but but that whole run from NWA and then and then really that whole Dre Snoop yeah. moment was so yeah. big. Yeah. That's yeah. when NWA and all that other, even like I was very hot on Too Short because it was so raunchy for me. And I was like, this is some crazy shit. You know, like he was coming at it, at it. And he was so underground. So Too Short was in a lot of ways, NWA was mainstream because they got so big. Too Short felt cool to me because he was a little like, none of my white friends really knew who he was. So I thought I was cool. But then, but the West Coast completely got crazy. And at least in my part of Jersey yeah. with Snoop and Dre, that that thing fucking just completely yeah. took over. It was crazy. Yeah. And it's yeah. Funny yeah. Because um, my younger brother, uh, my, you know, the, uh, the nothing but a G thing video, right, Gary? Mm-hmm. My younger mm-hmm. brother is that kid is dancing in that video and he's like, when he stops. No, right I, I, I are you serious? That's my younger brother. That's my younger <laughs> brother. And you know, these days, these days he's a chef and he swears a chair. Of course, I'm the most hood motherfucker in my family these days. But like, yeah, that was my brother back then. That's what's up. That's amazing. That's incredible. That's incredible. So 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 that was like 1992. You know, Gary, that's like two years later. You're at college. You're talking about, about Mount Ida. Um, how were you guys getting weed back then? Do you remember how they were even getting it? Yeah, I mean, oh my God. I I am like... The first time I told this story publicly, maybe five years ago, because I waited a while, because I didn't, my mom called me. She shivers. So my crew was crazy. Moose, Rob Moose. So both, both of my, two of my five core friends spent significant time in jail after, after college for dealing drugs. You know, like four and six and seven year hits, right? And so... They really got their game together in college. You know, I remember deciding that I wanted to be in business with Rob Moose post-college because I used to watch him break down pounds into nickel bags. <laughs> wow. Think hey, about know, that. That's funny. Think about yeah, that because, because it was a really poor college, right? And he made more money with nickels because he just literally okay. like, and like the, quali- you know, I don't know weed like that. I guarantee you the quality was as bunk bullshit as it could get but these guys were real entrepreneurs they used to buy you know they used to buy pounds in maine because moose went to boarding school or like some bad boy high school school in maine so they used to drive up from boston to maine bring it in but the story i told was my man glenn like italian south you know like kind of south boston like heavy accent he bought five pounds on one play, so he had some real weed and he had it in his dorm room. 
and campus police stormed our room while we were playing video games. And I'm in the room, never did a drug in my life, nothing, just like innocent as fuck, but I'm one of the three people in the room when they raid, I'm like, this is it, some bullshit. <laughs> um, somehow we got lucky, I guess the dogs were full of shit dogs, they didn't figure it out. It was in the hamper of his fucking clothes, which is like the first place you look. I still to this day think it's a miracle, but their supply was coming from Maine. Got it, got it, got it. Okay, so then, I, uh, oh, please go. Oh, for me, um, it was, which is crazy, uh, that, that Gary says Maine. Um, Cause you think about like where people supply come from and then you think about America and <laughs> And you know, look, me, me and my, you know, my older brother, like we would drive from Los Angeles, Los Angeles on the 10 freeway all the way to uh, Jackson, Mississippi. And we ended up, you know, in Jeez. Yazoo and like a few of our other parts. And look, yo, Gary, we're 17, 18, 19, 20 years old, 21, 22, until I got shot over the product, end up, you know, going into a coma and then becoming the game after watching 106 in Park and saying, you know what? I think I should be a rapper. A drug dealing is, it almost got me killed. You know, so yeah, it was for us, uh, for Gary and them, you know, his partners, it was Maine. For us, it was uh, Yazoo, Mississippi. Mm. Wow. I mean, I figured it was just out here because of California. I just, I didn't nah, think, man, yeah. When you are, when you're yeah. in it, when you're in yeah. it and you got to go, yeah. you got to go and you're not, and you're and like a bot, you're a bottom feeder, not to cut Gary off, but yeah, cut, when you're no, a bottom ahead. feeder, you got to, mm -hmm. you got to go where they say. Because, 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 because when you're a bottom feeder too, and this is why I fucking loved, and I talk a lot about like watching these kids who didn't have shit, like be entrepreneurs, because it sounds crazy for somebody who's listening right now, but the math for the game and his brother like, and his crew, the math worked out. Like it wasn't like they, and I'm sure, by the way, I'm sure the cars they drove from fucking LA to Mississippi were not fucking some remarkable, I mean like some incredible no. vehicle. He's, you know, like, and, then, and by the way, <laughs> by the way, because you know, I'll tell you, race in America hit me the most when I first started going to college with all these black kids because the amount of times we got pulled over just going to the mall to buy fucking the new Madden. Wow. I remember I called my mom even early on. I mean, and I, you know, I'm Jewish. So being Jewish in Russia was like being black in America. Like both my grandfathers spent many years in jail. My one grandfather spent 10 years in jail basically for being Jewish, right? So I've always had between being East Coast, between my family's heritage and the Soviet Union where religion is the thing, not race. I've always had compassion, empathy, like under, like, feelings towards but and and this is something i always tell my friends I'm like until you're in another man's shoes and you can never fully get there but when you're in the car with when you're five deep and four of the kids are black and the driver's black and you're in a beat up fucking bullshit car and you're driving in newton massachusetts where our campus was which was a super wealthy white jewish neighborhood you're just getting pulled over constantly and that's what I think when game was talking, that's literally what I thought about. I'm like, how these motherfuckers didn't get pulled over go and, and just like thinking about the fear they, cause they know when you're black, you know, you know, we're getting pulled over multiple times from Mississippi back to LA. And so we got to have this all thought through that just some people understand. And that's what people understand. Like that extra profit cause they could get a better deal down there. That's just the fucking, that's the hustlers fucking mentality. It's like, you got no option. You're just going to do it. Right. Yeah. That is, it's, it's, it's funny 
because uh, I'm thinking about your college dorm room, right? When you're talking about the dogs hanging and sniffing. I can't remember how many times, like, you know, we got pulled over um, and dogs were sniffing. And so that lets me know that and I'm thinking back to them, you know, from, from now. And I'm just thinking, like, damn, we were so good at what at like what we were doing that we never, obviously, I'm, I'm here, right? Or I would have been doing fucking mm-hmm. 25 to life or something like that. Um, just good you at what we were doing. But we, look, well, I'm just playing. Yeah, I'm playing. Yeah, I'm playing. You know what? Which ultimately, <laughs> which ultimately, you know, led me to a decision that changed my life. Had I not got shot, I would not be on this phone giving my perspective um, mm-hmm. on this platform. So it's like, it's just, damn, by chance. Like, I could have, I could have died so many times, man. It's just crazy. The, the, the list, I mean, the, the list of like um, things that we had to do. Just to just to get out of California, because the worst part of going, the worst part of driving it to the south was fucking Arizona. Mm. Sure. Going through going sure. through Arizona for the few hours that you had to was sweating fucking bullets. If you got pulled over, they would obviously know something's wrong because everybody's in that motherfucking tent. Because Arizona was the fucking worst. You get pulled over in Arizona, and seven times out of ten, you're actually going to jail. Mm. Sure. Yeah, Texas and Arizona when we were on tour were the two places that we didn't want to get stopped right. at all. And we were doing sure, sure. We would do it so that we were that we drove through Texas in broad day. That's how calculated we were. It's mm-hmm. like Gary said mm-hmm. with these calculations, mm-hmm. everything was like down to a science. Like we had to like we had to start our drive at a certain time in California, so we end up driving through Texas during the day so we could blend in. The crew yeah. got we got weed through the backwoods of campus because you can never go through the front campus thing. So literally, DJ Ron, who was like fifty. Mm-hmm. Like hanging with us, eighteen-year-olds would like we're uh, DJ Ron. If you're listening, I'm joking. I know you were only 26, but bro, you looked 50. Anyway, he would be in the woods. He would be in the woods. Would bring over, and we would throw a fucking garbage uh, out the third floor window, tied to a rope, and pull it. I like I. This is why I've always said this, which is when you're from the dirt, your creativity is crazy, because because yeah. you're the mouse. Yeah. You're the mouse. You're playing against the cats. You're the mouse, yeah. and you got to be clever. Yeah, yeah. Okay, amazing. So, so game. You were saying that you, t- you turned into game. You know, uh, after the what happened. So it's 2005. The documentary, your debut album comes out. It goes number one on Billboard, number 16 record sale of all time for for the year. You know, you're a superstar. You know, you it's you do you have how we do. You have hate it or love it. Gary, do you remember where you were or when you first heard, you know, you're turning 30, I think. Do you remember when you first heard uh, games music? I do because, because I used to have a really good friend and we used to talk about, like I still in a lot of my content talk about like, the, well, this is the game. This is the game. Like I used, I've been talking, you know, a lot of things you say, you say your whole life. So I always, always spoke of like, trying to put things in perspective as like the most important thing, I would always call it, no, no, you don't get it. This is the game, not, don't do that dumb shit. This is the game. So when the game came out, I, I was already like deep in my career. I was in the cocoon of wine world. It was an interesting time for me because out of all the times in my career, because four years later, I left the wine world, started the social media agency, and that brought me back to music. But there was a small little window, which is super ironic that we're talking about this with the game, where I was the most out of music. So it's really funny. I was just thinking as you were setting, like you were starting to set up the question of like, do I remember? I do. So luck, like I basically all my music consumption at that point, I only had like a five minute ride from work, but it was, but I would listen to Hot 97, right? 
And so I was out of the loop and listening to just classics during that time. But because of the name you chose, it was much more on my radar because all my buddies were like, yo, this rapper's... So yeah, it was literally in the car driving from the liquor store. You know what it was for me? And I'm sure a lot of people are like, yeah. Like I'm also very affected by the voice sound. And that obviously I'm sure you've heard that so much game like that. That's what kind of caught my attention immediately. I'm like, Oh, I like the way this guy sounds. And so uh, the moral of the story was people were telling me like, you got to listen to game. I'm like, okay, I got to get to it. And then when I heard it and I was like, Holy shit. I love the way this guy sounds. And then of course, whatever it was, Funk Master Flex was like, that was the game. And I was like, ah, so that's, that's how that was on my radar. That's amazing. That's funny. And then then Chuck, so, you know, certified gangsters, one of the first lines you talk about weed, obviously on how we do, you know, you have the line about Dre found me in the slum selling the skunk. So like for 20 years, you've been like normalizing weed, you know, in my opinion, you know, like what's that time been like kind of, and have you noticed like the public perception change or shift maybe at all popularizing? Um, you know, this you know what? I think that, I think I almost feel disrespected, right? Because, and this is going, you know, probably shake the room a little bit. I'm, I almost feel disrespected by by how okay it is to smoke, to grow, to like laws are passing. <laughs> like, no, I'm just, no, look, no, I get it. it. I know where you're going. Go ahead. Yo, it's, 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 it's really almost disrespectful and a smack in the face <laughs> after you've seen, after you, after we, you, you've been through what I've been through, after you've seen what I've seen, because it's like, literally, look, one of my home, one of my best friends got killed um, in Mississippi, right? Got killed in Mississippi over, over this drug, shot in his sleep, fucking 30 times, man. And that is, and, and, and the risk, just the risk that he was taking, that we were taking to get it there, to establish ourselves, for him to die in that manner, and for them to, you know, you know, years and years later, to just be like, oh, you know what, you can go down to cookies and just go buy weed. You know what I'm saying? It's almost like disrespectful. Um, so yeah, man, um, I don't know, I'm on the fence. I love it, and we, yeah, we're in business, but it's like, goddamn, how many people are incarcerated, have died, and and all the hoops we had to go through as just teenagers and, and you know, young adults, just to just to like get something that is like recreational, like recreationally okay now. And it, it should have been okay. It's just like the, the government and their regulations, like that shit pisses me off because these are real people on the ground yeah. living real lives and, and some are dying and some are spending their lives um, in cages. And so, yeah, and at yeah. the end of the day, you know, uh, you know, to be lighthearted, yeah, we can laugh about it and that's cool. But then some part of me is like, fuck, like shit. Like I lost so much. People have lost so, so much. Real. It's so real. Like it's, that's so, yeah. I mean, I was giggling because I thought you were going down the path of like all the work we had to do to get it from like a recreational standpoint. Like feeling anxious and fucking like all that shit. Um, When you take it to the next place, it's just fucking devastating. Like we, we, us four humans on this call and all the people listening, excuse me, us three, excuse me. We lived during this very weird call it 90 year, 100 year period. If you think about marijuana in the history of time, not modern times, the history of time, like take it way back. The Indians are like cavemen. And like, you know, there there was a time way back, no history books, where this was the medicine, the way we look at like Tylenol, right? Right. And so like we, in the history of the human being, all these, all these thousands of years, 
we happen to be on earth in a country that had this 80 to 90 to 100 year demonization of it sucks. Because you guys couldn't figure out, and I'm not you guys, because those guys couldn't figure out how to fucking regulate it in time so that yeah. I don't know how many million people have died and been in jail. Like that fucking, that part of it. And you know what's crazy? We can talk about all the people that are low income minority, because let's call a spade what it is on this stuff. And then there's a whole nother genre. All the high net worth, call it other people, both black, white, and different, who took stupid ass drugs all those years for their anxiety and became dependent, died of heart attacks and strokes because they were on chemicals. Wow. Like there, there's another side to this. There's people that have committed- I wasn't even, I wasn't even thinking right? of that. Well, this is what I mean. You got me thinking from own angle. Here's another one. There's people that have mental health issues in the 60s and 70s that it was right there. Right there. Mean, meanwhile, they're getting prescriptions. They're going, they're, you know, and just going deeper into a black hole and so it's really, really unfortunate. But, you know, listen, a lot of things, like there's been no perfect time in the history of mankind, right? You just kind of like the serendipity of all these things. I'm just grateful hey, and thankful, time. right? Game, like, you know, that's what it is. But there's like- no perfect time in the history of mankind. I love that. I need that in quotation somewhere. I appreciate it. Like, I, but I do think that, I do think it's lovely that this evolution is is happening and 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 mom you said something very important and i think i want to go back to it i think it's it's i think it's really a big deal i actually think the game to your point just to give them a little love on this i think when people start writing history books of the normal like the way you get to this moment is that people have to take the risk to normalize and he's actually he's absolutely as a person that watches the way humans roll pop culture the culture media content He's one of those people, Snoop, and there's you know there's others that have that really normalized it, which gained the momentum to allow us to be here today. Yeah, yeah. Grateful well, Dad, Grateful Dad, that whole hey, movement. And Rama, even going back to when you were asking, uh, you know, me and Gary, like you know the upbringing, right? And then you you dove into the uh, you know NWA and and how uh, you know prominent they were uh, as far as like artists, especially in a time when like you know it was them against the feds and the police and like mm -hmm. they were on the government's radar for rap music, right? All of that, and you know Gary and then, you know the dog sniffing and, and his DJ homie throwing it over the back fence, like <laughs> all all of that, right? For me to get signed by Dre and then go into the studio, and it's a big fucking bag of crack. And, and you can dig in that and roll and smoke. And I don't never, I never had to ask for or just anything about weed ever again being signed to Aftermath. It was already there. Like, you know how you go uh, into a kitchen in some of these studios, Gary, or a green room on, uh, you know, mm -hmm. at, at some of these studios and they got licorice and they got some, you know, the green, the green na Valley nature snacks. Yo, Aftermath had ketchup, <laughs> mustard, salt, and fucking weed. You know what I'm saying? So yeah, mm -hmm. man, it's like crazy, man. That's amazing. I, I love that. So I think I, I, this isn't part of the interview, but what we should do, though, is game kind of with the power that you and Gary have together. And of course, I can do a ton of the work around it. We really do have a big platform to help with some of this criminal kind of justice stuff. You know, and I know, game, you've brought it up in the past, but, you know, we, there, there's a lot of stuff. It's just really spreading the word about this. I don't think it's a big money thing. It's more just like kind of really spreading the word because they, they, they promote all these people locked up in jail but it's really promoted to the cannabis industry themselves. And I think if it could be promoted to like the mainstream normal world, I think it would have a much bigger impact. 
you know so well, maybe that's something we can work on later you know yeah yeah no we you know what we should there's no there's it we 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 have the platform we have the celebrity we have the connections the friendships the handshakes yeah. and all of that that's yeah. something that we do we definitely need to do it and we need to push yeah. back just based on just based on uh gary damn near dog sniffing out the laundry you know what i'm saying yeah. to me yeah, almost yeah, yeah. dying yeah. And, and you yeah. know we like yeah there's other there's other gary's and other games you know yeah yeah okay i love it so it's two th- it's 2011 april 6th actually I'm working for the guy that made Sky Vodka, Maurice Canvar, and he sold it. and And he invited me to go net to Napa to see this guy named Gary Vaynerchuk speak. Okay, Gary speaks about uh, if you're a brand, there's already conversations that are existing online, and if you kind of don't join in and lead those conversations, like you're an idiot, you know. And after <laughs> like after, you know, this is t- t- love, ten years ago, you know, you know, and yeah. you know, it was amazing. Like, and then. You know, he, after signing some dude's chest, he like uh, sees me kind of waiting in line for him, and and he uh, you know has a smile on his face, and he asks me like, "Did you sneak in?" Because I was the only guy that didn't have like a suit jacket on at this like wine thing or whatever. You know, uh, Gary gave me some books and stuff, and and you know, Chuck has always said that he compares Trees by Game to like LVMH in the early days. Like he really oh. thinks it can be on that level. Can you talk about Gary? Maybe any similarities between cannabis and alcohol industries? I'm sure there's a bunch, but you know, can you kind of talk there's about there, that a little bit? There's a ton. And Rama, you hosted a really great clubhouse. Anybody listening, make sure oh, thank you. you follow thank Rama you. on Clubhouse because he's holding really good rooms around cannabis. Thank you. And I think, and I think, you know, I really enjoyed the one I went into the other night because I think I helped a lot of those entrepreneurs. I'm like, look, like, there's always going to be restrictions. You know, I came into my, you know, daddy's liquor store and wanted to take him to the next level because I loved my parents and what they did for me. And I find myself believing in the internet, but I didn't, you know, I didn't get, you know, I, I had a lot of fortune, but the misfortune was I couldn't ship that shit anywhere. Texas can't ship. Illinois can't ship. There's always restrictions when your product has been prohibited. You know, alcohol was in the same place that weed was in the thirties. That's just real talk. Like that's what it was. Mm-hmm. People forget. And so. Prohibition. I just really try to remind a lot of the young, you know, entrepreneurs of cannabis, two things. One, it's going to get better, but beware what you wish for. Cause right now it's a lot of authentic people that really love the space. They really love the product, but big money's coming. Like if you don't think there's going to be a Coca-Cola and a Budweiser and a Nike of cannabis, you are naive to how America works. And so, you know, there's a ton of similarities, the stigma, you know, you, you never really know when the culture is going to turn on you. That same era of like, say no to drugs. Like Nancy, Nancy had no shame. She went after, you know, mothers against drug driving. And like, I mean, and then, and then, you know, it's so funny. I'm getting all this anxiety because then magic came out and had AIDS. And I was like, Fuck drinking, fuck weed. I'm not having sex. Like it was scary in 1990. Everybody, yeah, Yeah, man, it was terrible in 1990. I envy these kids. We were fucking scared in high school. (laughs) Like fucking everything killed you. Everything that seemed good killed you. So like killed. They didn't even fuck around. They were like, you are gonna die. I literally, literally, Rama. You just need the ears. In 1990. I swear to God, I was 15. I walked earth thinking that if I drank, smoked weed, or had sex, I'd die. <laughs> so I remind, I remind everybody that like cannabis will go through its thing. You're on the right side of it now. We're over the hill. Yeah. It's all the momentum's in the other direction. Yeah. 
But, but don't get it twisted. Like anytime it's a substance, anything, something stupid might happen because there's America is based on religious conservativeness. Do not, like people forget what this country is built on. It is built, we are a very prude. America's prude as shit. And so, you know, you gotta be thoughtful, optimistic, but you can't cry that Facebook and Instagram doesn't take your ads. Go and find yeah. 500 influencers and do a deal. Start your own podcast. Do a show like this. I, I don't like when entrepreneurs cry. So are excuses. Uh, yeah, I, well, obviously, but we love this. Okay, so so Gary, a year after I met you, I actually, is the first time I met I met Chuck here, you know, and um, and, and just talk about, you talked about the clubhouse thing. Game has an amazing uh, clubhouse going called the Arcade. He's like the king of clubhouse. So for this show here, Gary, we're going to do a thing on his, when we launch this, our video, when we get it edited, we're going to launch something on, to promote it on his clubhouse. We're all going to go on to his thing and bring everybody on there. And we're going to bring tons of awesome people, Chuck. You're going to fucking be stoked. But so a year later, I, I met, I met Chuck and we were working uh, after years of me doing the record label stuff. I was consulting for Interscope uh, and we worked on the, the Jesus Peace album, you know, and uh, we did a bunch of collaborations with them, and we had a lot of really success there. And it's really the the partnership between Game and G Pen uh, to make a, a custom, you know, uh, Jesus Peace vaporizer. This was the Game's first like legit cannabis licensing deal, I'd say. And oh, it's how we met G Pen and how we started really the whole thing. And then, you know, so Chuck, what did you think of when that first happened? And then, like, um, you know, maybe like maybe that's it's been almost 10, 10 years now, you know. I felt well when it first happened. When we first did the deal with G Pen, number number one, we made a, a remarkable product, right? People love that fucking pen, still love it to this day. The ones that have them are like think they sitting on gold or something. So yeah, amazing product. When we first did it, the first thing that I thought was like, how how's this even legal? Like you know what I'm saying? Like a, a pen. Yeah. Now we now we talking pens with weed. And again, I wasn't like. I wasn't, you know, like indulging in cannabis in that, in that, in that fashion, right? Like I'm the old, you know, give me, give me a backwood. I roll it up, how I roll it up, give me a joint, you know, like that. So that was like groundbreaking for me and my core audience, you know what I'm saying? Because we're all just, you know, breaking down, rolling up, smoking. Um, so the G pen, um, like I remember uh, giving one to like a few of my celebrity friends and seeing them smoke on the floor in like, you know, in, in this sort of fashion in the Staples Center. You know what I'm saying? You, you know, you blow it and then, you know, it's done. But like, that was, that was just remarkable, man. Like I, I was so stoked to do that. Um, and so, and just so stoked about, um, our partnership. And I mean, we've been like winning ever since then, man. So just, uh, our growth as, as partners, uh, trees by game is the company, um, uh, Gary and everything that he does. Like we're, man, we winning, man. We're, we're I, I sit with the winners, you know what I'm saying? You know that saying, we always <laughs> say, you know, sit with the winners like if you want to win obviously right mm -hmm. um gary the, the thing that i love about gary the most and i'm just driving around the corner real quick yeah. is that unlike everybody else that has anything to say about anything cool gary does it in layman's terms human beings the average person just wants to hear it like it is we don't want to be 100%. fucking bamboozled or shit talked out of our fucking pockets like Tell us what it is, and so we can make the conscious decision if we want to fuck with that. And whenever you keep it 100, which Gary does all the time, in layman's terms, so that everyone can understand it, it's fucking win. And so that's what we're doing back then, and that's what we're doing now. I appreciate that, my man. You know what it is? What you just described, it's been my number one thing. It doesn't matter how much success or how smart you are. You talk down to people, people want to punch you in the face. Like, fuck you. Who the fuck do you think you are? They don't I don't get it. Get it. 
I hate that shit. Like, bro, if you're nice to people, they fucking they love you. What the fuck? Period. Period. How come everybody wants to be assholes, man? As if, as if, like, because because they're insecure, game. Right. You know, like they think that they're like you think your bag makes you better than me. Get out of here. Yeah, yeah. I I think I think a lot of business leaders kind of led by fear. And I think yep. that's why people, that kind of is a toxic, weird thing that doesn't, it's not going to really exist as much, but like the whole Steve Jobs mentality, yelling at people, it's not, the, it doesn't work anymore, you know? Mm-hmm. So, so, I, so I, I love a game. You brought us together, right? So, so it's 2017. I cold emailed Gary. I saw that he was in town and I asked him if he wanted to meet you. And Gary was filming the Planet of the Apps, a uh, little TV show thing for Apple. Uh, he was like, come meet me on the side of my trailer. We had <laughs> We had that cool little sesh there, we talked about you know the the record label stuff, how we met each other. We talked about trees by game, of course, and, and Green Street stuff. But you know so, what I remember about yeah, that the most? Yeah, when, when the game blew my mind that he was the number one or number two rated Madden player in the world at the time, it just yeah. I could I was shook. I was shook. Yeah, that's crazy. Why did you decide to kind of invest maybe into cannabis at you know at that point? That's when we all met over maybe some of your peers. Um. Two things. One, I think those those moments in my high school years really gave me, a, you know, nowhere close to the game's stories about losing fam, like real best friend family type shit. But there was just a lot of years of anxiety around it. Think about my life. I like had those four quintessential years of growing up and becoming a man in that environment. And then I grew up in a liquor store my whole life. Like, the liquor business, like it was just, it was always around me. And then, and listen, this is nice to say, I get to say it publicly. And then you, right? I do business with humans, right? And so your authenticity to it and my intuition that we'd be here all these years later, still friends, um, it was the right formula of ingredients. And, I, and I'm very good at knowing shit. Like this, the way I know right now that NFT, non-fungible tokens, is about to completely explode over the next three years and crypto punks and hash masks are gonna be on top of everyone's lips in two years. I knew the time was ready for cannabis, for weed. I My dad's liquor store was called Wine Library. I'd own weedlibrary.com since 1997. Yeah, I knew I knew this was going to happen at Whoa. some point or I thought. So I just felt like when we met, I'm like, California's always going to set a trend because it's one of the, Big three, four states. If California is doing it, New York's gonna do it. And I just kind of, I just started putting the pieces together and just felt like the right time. Yeah, that's perfect. So that brings us to today, right? So the three of us are business partners, right? We grew up completely different backgrounds. You know, now we're all working together, opposite sides of America. We've secured like, you know, huge manufacturing and distribution deals, kind of leading the cannabis industry. And we're not even really getting started yet, right? So, so Chuck, like, from the illegal weed sales to like award-winning cannabis brands all across California, what's the future look like for, for trees, trees by game? Uh, the future, you know what it is, is that we are, again, it's like Gary said, we, we're, we're humans, man. We understand, we understand everyday human life. We understand the stress, the anxiety, because we deal with it. We go through it. We own it. We talk about it. We're not hiding. We don't mask ourselves. Um, you know what I'm saying? It's, and I'm not saying anything, uh, you know, uh, negative about guys who wake up and put on suits and tie ties every day. But I mean, I'm coming as I am. 
and I want you to come as you are and just be like we're bringing humanity back to where it needs uh -huh. to be like social interaction the way that Gary speaks the way that he does like you know social media can be confusing sometimes you think that we're socially engaging when we're not we're in we're we get lost in some of these programs and it's not until you listen to a Gary V or we have you know a platform to talk like this where you understand that people that are watching and people that are, that will see this say hey I they're like me they're like me, or I can be like that. And then even though they want to be like a Gary or be like a gamer, be a businessman like a Rama, we still want to be like you because you know who you are. You're fucking human, and we love you. Love it. Fucking love it. I want to punch somebody oh, yeah. in the face. Yeah, just, I, I wanna, I'm getting yeah, excited. I, I, like <laughs> I got that. Yeah you, yeah, you take care of those things. I'll start the fights. You finish them, yeah. Gary. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like Braveheart. I want to like Kool-Aid man through the wall right now. Um, so, so that was it, Gary. I had one final question kind of for you. If, if you're kind of most excited about anything specific future in the cannabis industry. And I think you talked about it a little bit already. The, so. the, the allowance to do more in marketing, I want that for the community because I know they're frustrated. The brilliance of the 10, you know, 15 people that are going to navigate even the restrictions and, and the and the millions of people, whether in the corner of a hood or in the high rise of Manhattan, who are gonna be able to have better lives because this thing is no longer demonized. I look forward to all those things. Mm -hmm. oh, yeah. Look, Ramo, to, 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 to veggie of uh, Gary, I wanna remind you that he said his dad was, dad had the wine library and he, he's had weed library um, you know, uh, dot com for since 1997. I challenge everybody watching this, all of the users, all of the, the people, the consumers, the friends, the family that we got out there that are going to see this. I challenge you guys to think past, think present, think future and get your shit done and stop waiting for motherfuckers to do it for you or just thinking in one dimension. Right. Just thinking about, of, you know, how it, how we used to be like alcohol as far as prohibition, like go beyond challenge yourself, yourself. And you can do these, you can have these thoughts by yourself. You don't need game or Gary Rama to think like challenge yourself. Fuck yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Let, let that quote clear. That was amazing. Game. Thank you so much for the time. Really, really appreciate it. Gary. Thank you guys so much. Game. Wish you well, bro. Oh.